I sat outside the courtroom with her for about an hour and a half, two hours, her asking me questions. And because we knew we didn't want to, yes, we said, we can't just take this child if there's this mom out there who might be looking for her child or whatever. But she showed up with a black eye and missing front teeth. I was like, okay, we're going to rescue this child. <laughs> yeah, she was, she, so, was she was a little messy. Yeah, she was coming from a hard time. Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part, it unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox, but rather an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Erica and Troy Andrews, the voices we just heard, have done. First, suffering through a failed adoption, they put themselves through the process again to rescue a child. It's a wild story of love with twists and turns that would have led most to give up, but not these two. I can't wait for you to meet the Andrews right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Troy and Erica Andrews, how are you? Well, doing well. Doing pretty good. <laughs> Y'all are pretty awesome is what you are. I I, I want to know, um, Lisa, my wife and I have four children. Their ages are 27, 26, 25, and 24. Oh, wow. goodness. <laughs> uh, we got on city water and it cleared up, but it was tough for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I've seen a picture of your family. Um, what are the ages of your children? Well, currently now we have, they're all girls. We have 23, 19, and 14. And then um, probably one of the little ones we're going to talk about today, she actually just turned 13. Carly. 13. Yeah, Carly. So, so um, and and this story today is about, unbelievable giving heart that you guys have and and how you felt called to adoption and we're going to get to that we're going to catch the listeners up but i do want to know something you guys um my father and mother were divorced when i was four and um, my father passed away three weeks ago and the time between i was four which is 49 years ago and today he and i had no real relationship whatsoever. And um, one of the toughest days around my house has always been Father's Day. Uh, even as a father, I celebrated my own children, but I always felt this sense of loss. And both of you are from divorced families. And w when did each of your parents get divorced? <laughs> we were, interestingly enough, we were, uh, you know, we're not the same age. Eric and I were four years apart, um, but we were almost the same age, exact age when, when our, when the divorce, when our parents got divorced, um, we were both, uh, nine. So th that was just kind of an interesting fact that we found about, found out about later, you know, after we met each other and kind of got to know each other, became friends. And so, but it was a little bit different because my dad, my dad was, a was a, is a retired Illinois state police officer and he's still around. Um, and he, uh, he, he, he and my mom divorced when I was nine and, uh, he, he left and, uh, Erica had the opposite. So, um, her, her mom left when, when she was nine and she was raised by her dad. Did, so, did you guys, I, I had a real sense of, I was an athlete in school. I actually lettered in six sports. I was not really good at any of it, but I was good enough to be doing all of it. Um, <laughs> the athletic director called me a triathlete because I'd try anything. Um, yeah, so, but I, I, I look back on it, and I'm pretty sure my, my father um, played football and 
baseball and basketball because I found some old clippings once in the attic, and he was um, college good. And I, I look back on it now, and I'm I'm almost sure that I was trying to prove myself as worthy because I always wondered why my dad didn't want me. And um, I wonder, did either of you ever have a similar feel that, you know, why doesn't my parent want me as divorced children? Yeah, you know, um, we each have her, you know, Erica, I'll let her address that for herself. But for me, uh, um, my dad was always was was a good athlete as well and and he was he was always around one of the things that i would say about my dad that's pretty amazing is you know even when he was on duty my you know, i was a good good athlete i played basketball and we had a very good basketball team we went to the went to state every year and uh good football team and he would he would always be at my games but he would be in his uniform standing out in the hall and mm-hmm. so that was always really nice, but it, but it's still you know I always kind of had those uh, you know resenting feelings about him leaving, about you know something else in his life being more important than us. You know it was really kind of more of that. I f- I feel that, and I felt that I can identify with that big time. Yeah, and so so for me, I had to. It really wasn't until I was in college that that kind of flipped a, flipped around on me in a pretty radical way, and uh, I saw Dad in kind of a different light, you know, as a as a person who had his own circumstances that he dealt with in his life. You know, his dad was a, a World War II veteran and had a very very you know he was on the front lines. Uh, I think he landed on Omaha Beach, if I remember correctly. Wow. And uh And his job in the military was to lay communication lines in front of the front. So he would sneak out through enemy lines and, and lay the wires so that they could communicate when the front moved forward. So he had a very dangerous job. So when he got back from the war, my grandmother um, got breast cancer and passed away when dad was 13. And uh, grandma... Um, was kind of his light and grandpa's they were very close and so grandpa you know ended up like he couldn't take care of the two boys so he he basically gave the two boys to a uh, some people in town and so really in, until I got later in life and really understood that dad did the best that he could kind of he didn't really have a standard normal childhood that we hope to give our children as an example, um, he was very young. I think he, he and mom married when they were 17 and 18, somewhere around in there with a, they was, they were pregnant at 16 and 17. So I don't know. I just, I just saw him in a different light as a man and not on a pedestal as a man who was, you know, doing his best and, uh, had some failings and, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep holding that against him because it was hurting me and him. And so, but that didn't happen for me until in, into college really took. No, was, but, and I get it. And the poor man sounds like he suffered some abandonment damage himself. But the, the truth is, as, as an adolescent, you, you, you felt what abandonment feels like. 
and much yeah. like I did as a child of a divorced family. And, and I think it's safe to say what you said, you understood as an adolescent what abandonment felt like. Yeah. Did, yep. What about you, Erica? Did you have those same feelings? And things were maybe a little bit different in that, I don't know, I kind of put my mom on a pedestal. She got to be, you know, you always talk about the Disneyland dad, you know, the dad that just kind of shows up on the weekends. And it was more, I got to have weekends with my mom in the bigger town because she'd moved to the city. And and so there... Oh, so she was cool. <laughs> she kind of was. I mean, that is, uh, yeah, while all my girlfriends in the, you know, in the locker room, you know, were kind of complaining and fussing about their moms, you know, I thought my mom was my best friend. But as I got older, I realized I didn't need a best friend and a mom. I needed a mom to be a mom. <laughs> and so right. that was maybe a little bit... Um, different. But as far as trying to impress, even with my, my dad was very, I, I think, you know, my, he loved my mom, certainly was very hurt by her leaving, but I definitely did pretty much every activity. They call me a joiner. I was, I did every activity. And I think it was to get either my mom or my dad, get someone's attention. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do everything from the play to sports to, you know, band, everything. And, and it, I, I know where you're coming from, where you're just kind of, you know, we tell a little girl, you know, I'm twirling, like, look at me and trying to get um, that attention. But um, I do also think as you, as I got older, I definitely saw the sacrifices, especially that my my stepmom made um, after she married my dad. Um, I saw that in a different light as I grew older and had kids of my own as well. So I've, I've talked to adults of divorced families like myself and like we're talking about not divorced families, adults that came from divorced families when they were children. And, you know, it is very rare that I don't hear some of the same uh, conversation that we're having. And also how that experience and, and, you know, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it is traumatic. So it's trauma. So that same experience that a, that a child experiences and the trauma that they have when they're growing up, then as adults have this interesting thing in common that, that I feel like, which is I cannot imagine a scenario that I would abandon my children or leave my family no matter how hard it got, because I know what that feels like and I never want to put another person through it. And I'm just curious if, if you guys have that same mentality as a result of all this. Yeah, we do. We do. And, uh, um, it, you know, for us, it's funny. We said early on, it was just so intense for us when we met that, that, uh, look, if we're going to, we became real. We became very good friends, Erica and I did before we got married. In a very short amount of time, we had a lot in common. And uh, one of the things that we both said to one another is, "Hey, you know, if we're going to do this, then it's forever." Divorce is not an option. And we we said, even in heated moments or arguments, that that word will never be bantered about our home. <laughs> yeah, and it never has. You know, we're almost creeping up on 30 yeah, years. Yeah, 30 here. years next year. <laughs> our, our 30th is this December. Oh, wow. Uh, awesome. Yay. Yeah. So it's cool. All right. So 
this this show is an army of normal folks. And what I'm trying to establish through this initial conversation is this. You guys didn't grow up independently wealthy. You grew up in a divorced households. Um, you you worked to get to where you were when you got married, and you're just average folks trying to make a life who have decided that they're going to have a significant commitment to one another that is everlasting and forever, no matter what, because of the trauma and the pain you'd experienced as a, as a kid. Is that fair to set up who you are as a couple before you start having children? Yeah, I would, I would say that's fair. I mean, we, we both came from very humble means and, uh, you know, you, we didn't even know what we didn't have, to be honest with yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, um, but, uh, you know, we made a commitment to one another and, and, uh, you know, that's never changed. So awesome. So we got average Troy and average Erica getting married, not a whole lot of money. Um, which by the way, that was Bill and Lisa Courtney too. And you start your life and you have Noah and you have Sydney, and then you decide to lose your minds and do something crazy and different and tell me how that decision came into play. Well, it actually was put on our hearts um, before we had children, oddly enough. Really? Yes. Yeah. We were sitting at a church and a lady had just gotten back from an orphanage in Russia and was doing the old slideshow, you know, back when they had slides and not <laughs> PowerPoint presentations. And she <laughs> yeah, was right. clicking through her pictures and sharing it. And I just felt the Lord kind of laid it on my heart. And I just sat there just looking at those those pictures. And when we got in the car, I just turned to Troy and I said, I don't know. I said, I just feel like, you know, if the Lord blesses us and we have the means and, and we're able to, like, I, I just think we're, we're supposed to adopt. And he said, I do too. I felt the same thing. And so even before we had children, the Lord sort of planted that seed on our hearts. And then we, we had Noah and things were going really well. And then I had, um, a life-threatening ectopic pregnancy and things didn't go real well there, but we thought, well, maybe, you know, now would be the time to adopt. And then that wasn't the time. Um, and then we had Sydney. So they're four years apart. I say we got one in college at a time, but it wasn't planned. <laughs> and so then we had <laughs> Sydney and we still could not shake it. And we finally just decided, what did we, oh, we went to look into, um, international adoption. And at the time it just, things were very crazy. I think they had another Olympics back then and the time to actually get your referral and have, you know, get the child in your home was like going on three years. And by that time, Sid was already like three or three or four, I think. Well, we, we also, you know, just, I, I never could really shake yeah, the fact were... that I was like, you know, there's kids here that need, that need a home. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going overseas, and I'm not saying that at all. But, but I was, it just, it just felt for me like there's children here. Why do we have to like go and, you know, figure out something overseas and bring some bring somebody here when there's people here that need it? And now a few messages from our generous sponsors. But first. We really want to hear from you about what the Army and other Army members have meant to you and consider sharing it on our social media accounts if you'd be open to sharing with us. 
If you're game for this, write us at army at normalfolks.us or call or text us at 901-352-1366. We'll be right back. Hannah Storm and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot, fast, and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Tell me, tell me about the slides. You're in church, the woman from Russia. What did, did your heart get pulled by the pictures of these orphan children? I mean, what, what grabbed you? What pulled your heartstring? Give us, give us a paint a paint a visual of that. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think all of that. I mean, I think it was just seeing that there's children in this world that didn't have anyone, you know, a place to call home. And I don't know that cause that had never been on my radar before. Like I, I don't, 
I, this had never been on my radar. I, I don't even know that there was one specific thing other than just seeing, you know, their plight and just seeing that there, that there's, how could, how could it be there's children in this world that don't have some, a place to call home? Well, one of the, one of the things that she said to me that she probably doesn't remember is that, you know, you don't, you, you get to pick a lot of things in this world and choose a lot of things, but you don't get to choose who your parents are or what situation you're born into. You know, so, so as it relates to not having, you know, or being born with maybe into, into a household that maybe can't raise you or whatever, you know, you just don't get to choose that. So it's, it's, it's not just, (laughs) so how can we help, you know, bring justice perhaps to, to somebody who's maybe been dealt a hand that, that they had no say in and they didn't do anything wrong. You know, that's a beautiful thought. I've, I've said a lot that it's not just that the possibilities of your success in life is largely dependent upon the zip code at the time of your birth. It's mm-hmm. not just, but it is true. And so we've got this on our heart. We've, we've had Noah, we've had Sydney, and then you throw your name in a hat for a group of parents who say we're interested in adoption. How, how does the process work? Well, I, after the kind of the China, going to China just wasn't in the cards for us, I said, well, maybe we're not called to adopt, but just support adoption ministry. And I had a friend that was already volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center. It's called Christ, it's a ministry, actually, crisis pregnancy outreach. And I thought maybe I'm just, we're supposed to support adoption ministry. So I started volunteering there. I was a mentoring mom where I would, you know, drive a a pregnant mom to, you know, doctor's appointments. I would meet with her and have coffee and just kind of be there and go to support groups with her and just sort of be a mentor um, as she was walking, you know, through her pregnancy. And the, the CPO also offered it, whether you made a placement for your child, like made an adoption, made a choice for adoption, made an adoption plan, or whether you chose a parent, they just, they supported mothers. And so I just started working there. And then um, a friend of mine got a call about, uh, about another child and, and it kind of just got the ball rolling like, okay, so maybe, maybe, maybe we should just put our, our name in. And so we, I made a book, you know, a lot of these adoption agencies, you put together a photo book or, or something to that effect. And so we put our book in and actually very quickly um, got a call that we had a birth mother that was interested. Wow. Okay. And that birth mother is what turned into your relationship with Carly. Correct. Right? Yes. Okay. This is where it all begins. This is where, <laughs> this is, this is where normal folks just creating a life, step out and do phenomenal loving work and I'm going to I'm going to spoil one of your lines right now but when I read it I, I I have thought about it all day and it's when you say just find ways to be a constant for someone and I thought about my own adolescence I th- I thought about my own work that I I've done and then I've thought about my own children and I've thought about my employees and I've thought about my wife and how important it is to do exactly what you guys say, which is just find ways to be constant for someone. And 
in church, it was put on your heart to adopt and you take some time and then you decide to go and introduce us to your experience with Carly. You want me? <laughs> He's looking at me. <laughs> um, one, one of you have to tell me the story. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I don't. Want She's to be such one. a better storyteller. Uh, I don't know, but I, I always leave. All out. right, Erica, take it. Take <laughs> it. I always leave out important facts. Oh, okay. And if I'm getting too detailed, let me know. Um, well, I, you know, we got this call that a birth mom had wanted to meet us, and we met um, the birth mom. And I don't know. I'm not sure I needed protect privacy or anything, but um, she. We met her. She had two um, small boys already. Had a little bit of a rocky relationship with the ministry, as she had said she was going to place her second child with them, and then just kind of disappeared, and, and that never had never went through. So we, but we met her, um, got to know her and the boys. Um, they were not in a social, you know, a good socioeconomic place. Um, in life, and we tried to do our best to support and help them. We we babysat the boys and kept them, and you know I took her to doctor's appointments and did different things. You, you hold, hold hold it. You babysat her boys. Yeah, there'd be times when I don't know she needed things, and and they. So you you mean while she's pregnant with your who's going to be your ad- adopted child? You're also caring for her existing children. Yeah, d- yeah, yeah, temporarily from time is, to time. Is that normal? Is that what <laughs> um, normally goes on? I don't know if it's if it's normal, but CPO is very big about open adoption and, and that they're advocates for that. And so we kind of felt like in the process of 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 bringing Carly into our life, we were also bringing her and her boys in some ways into our life that they would be connected, well, well, there would be relationship well, there. Okay, we're going to get into this story, but like I said, you're you're taking me along for a ride here. But so you're not adopting just Carly. I mean, if you're if you're and and I don't mean legally adopting these boys, but you're you're not just bringing into your family's life Carly. You're bringing in with an open adoption, you're, you're kind of bringing in a whole nother group of people into your family orbit here. I mean, you're, you're reaching out pretty deep, right? Yeah. And, and it really was our heart to do that. Like I, I saw her as a young mom who I also generationally had been in the system and saw how her boys were living and it wasn't in a great place. And, so yeah, we we felt I don't know, obligations not the word, but I think our heart kind of broke over those boys and thought, gosh, if we're bringing their sibling basically, you know, into our home, that I, and I wanted that to be, I wanted to build a relationship with the birth mom. I mean, I I did believe in that and and was hoping that our life would be a reflection and be an influence on her life as well. Well, it's there. There's been. That was definitely one time, but there's been several times where we've kind of looked at each other and said, how can we say no? Yeah. <laughs> how can we say no? I, you know, you guys are better than me because I'm pretty sure I might have looked at somebody and said, how can I say yes? I mean, that is a lot, y'all. I mean, that is a lot. So 
you're watching her boys so she can do whatever she needs to do, and you're open adoption, and you're being unbelievably selfless and open. And I, I, yes, that's my narration of it, but that's what I'm hearing. And um, she carries uh, she carries Carly to to term, right? Correct. And what happens? So it's kind of neat if if someone has not been through it that at, if you're adopting at birth, the hospital also if they have the room, they gave me a room as if I was the you know get the one giving birth, and I got to have a room and got to be very near where the birth mom was, and I um, was there at the birth at the birth mom's request, and actually was the one that cut the cord when Carly was born. They treated me very similar. I mean, she did see the baby and spent time with her. Um, but then Carly was in my room at night and was with me, um, in my room a few doors down. And so it was just a really, we brought our girls in, Noah and Sydney. I mean, I think friends came, it was, you know, it was a very, very joyous time. And up until that point, I think to start prefacing the rest of the story, um, you know, she had told us who she believed was the birth father. And we had some doubts about that for various reasons. And the other guy that she had been, quote unquote, dating, his family had been preparing for this baby. But she said, it's not his, it's not his, it's this other guy. And so, but when she was born, there were kind of a few things that seemed fairly obvious that maybe she was not telling the truth about the birth father. But and we let our attorney know, but when she had to go, I think was it 48 or 72 hours, she had, did have to appear to kind of give sort of a preliminary, I guess, custody to us, not legal, but just preliminary. And so our attorney said, I will quiz her up one side and down the other to try to get her to name, you know, who you think is the father. And she didn't. She kept her, with her story of this other guy. Well, why and, couldn't you just have a paternity test and straighten that out all at once? Good idea. <laughs> why didn't we? <laughs> why indeed the, did we the, not? The, um, the pause and then good idea says a lot, Erica. <laughs> you know, not being the we professionals. Just, well, we, just, yeah. we, we followed the laws of the state of Oklahoma yeah. at the time. And oh. so that wasn't, that wasn't something that they normally did. This I, is who she named. She, this is once what she they... once she went to the judge and said, "This is who the father is." That's who the judge thinks the father is, and so that's it. Where there's the possibility of a question when a child's future is at stake, I don't know. Common sense and the law don't always necessarily agree, so oh. we can move on. The bottom line is, okay, we're. She's convinced that this guy is the father and the judge takes this person at her word. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. So what happens? So then we, things were fine. We're great for about six, no, five, five, six months. I mean, we still, we were doing open adopt, you know, we were doing visits with the birth mom, with the family, living our lives, sending out the, you know, birth announcements and just, you know, bringing Carly into our family, introducing her, you know, that's our daughter and this is who she was. And she was not an easy baby at the time. She was more of a colicky, you know, kind of, of baby, but she was adorable and delightful. And, and we were instantly, of course, in love with her. We'll be right back. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I call my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the fall, she was born in June, and in the fall, we started hearing rumblings that she had, um, that the birth mom had had contacted the other guy and started making noise about that she had actually had the baby. Originally, she had told that family that she had had a stillborn and it was a boy, like that there was... I didn't even, I didn't know that. Yeah, that it was stillborn as a boy, but then she admitted, you know, I think just for 
the drama of it all, then started telling them, no, she had the baby, and it was a girl, and she had um, made an adoption plan, and that was that. Well, that family started ringing up the ministry, found out where, I think, where she, so started calling CPO and started making demands about wanting information and wanting to know, and so well, that. We, we did eventually go get a paternity test. Yeah, so then, so. yes, yeah, so then after that, we, we had our court date with the supposed the other birth father or you know the actual birth father who was already incarcerated and so he was going to have to make an appearance in December to come and what do you call it? what's uh, fight fight the yeah, so, fight the the paternity thing. so the way the way it works or did work I don't know if the laws have changed since then but you know when when we did kind of find out that we really do think that this other guy's probably the father we went and did a paternity test with him, and sure enough, he was the father. Oh, we didn't so, go do the paternity test. We were ordered by the court to pay for the paternity test for the incarcerated birth father oh, that yeah. didn't show up for his sure. court hearing. And the law says his rights shall be terminated. But our judge legislated from the bench because the birth father's mom somehow was in the courtroom, stood up, and was quite upset and said we were told the baby was dead. I think there was a big emotional plea. Yeah, and to be to be honest with you, I think, you know, as you step back away from it, I mean, they were they were told a lie. Oh, of course. And, and of course. they you know, it was just a it was just a horrible thing for everyone. Yes. For them included. I, I mean, y'all, I'm I'm hearing this and and I'm picturing You've got an incarcerated father, a mother who is not equipped and is also obviously dishonest. And you've got you two guys who are trying to do things the right way and to, as you say, um, find a way to be a constant for a child who clearly left in this environment wasn't going to get a constant and all of that's terrible but everybody involved in that's adults and my heart is bleeding for this child oh yeah this child that has no idea what's going on but is caught up in a quagmire of adult craziness yes absolutely that's that's exactly right and and that was that was the horrific thing of it so we were kind of caught into a situation I mean, the judge, the, even the judge is like, look, you know, here's a birth family who's saying that they were lied to. I, you know, like Erica said, the, the, the way the laws are written in Oklahoma is if as notice was sent out to him, proper notice was sent out to the birth father in prison, he could have petitioned to be at the court, but he didn't show up. And so, so he didn't. Well, but he was he in jail, right? Yeah, yeah. But though he the, could have, he had to pay seventy-two dollars to be transported, and would have been able to be there. But he chose. He, he didn't yeah, make the effort. Yeah, he didn't make the effort, or didn't have the money, or whatever it was. He didn't show up for the court hearing, but the, but his mother did, oh. and and she said, "Look, he, you know, we were lied to all of this, and so he, so he didn't rule, as stipulated by the by the." by the laws of the state of Oklahoma, he, which it says that the, if the birth father does not show up, the judge shall terminate. And so he didn't do that. He set up another court hearing and gave him more time to get there. And we had to pay for uh, paternity tests and for all that 
to happen, which, you know, I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> it's hard because you're fighting the for the day, kid. At the end of the day, that's just an irritant. That's not the, that's not the, I get it. I mean, it's like, yeah. you're not following the law. Now you're making me pay for a paternity test. And I, I, I get the, the frustration is just mounting step by step by step. Yeah. Step it was it was hard especially given the given this the entire situation i mean the birth father was is a nine-time convicted felon he's in prison you know and he's got i believe he served what two more years or something like that he he finally got out and now he's disappeared again and they haven't seen him since so they don't even know where he's at after how many years yeah. <laughs> 10 years <laughs> he's so how long at this point had Carly been your child? Um, the paternity stuff that was through February, so from June to February, and then the next the next hearing was on May tenth. So she would have been almost one. You've been there at the birth. You've nurtured in the hospital room. You've gone through some months of colicky crying baby, which any of us have had children know how miserable that is. And you've loved this child and she is your daughter and, and has been for a year. And, you know, something else that we also got to think about is Noah and Sydney now have a sister who they love. And you've got this family building and what, what happens? What does the judge rule? What, what, what ends up happening? So when we drove into the parking garage at the courthouse, we prayed and we just, we knew God knew the answer. He knew what was going to happen already before we did. And we just prayed that we would have the strength to get through it and that we would, that he would give us grace. He would give us, yeah, grace and peace about it. So we went in and we had a few friends out, out there praying with us while they were inside because really as just the you know, adoptive parents that aren't related. We had zero rights at this point. It was all about what was happening inside that courtroom. And we just had to wait and find out. Yeah, we, we did. We weren't allowed in the courtroom at all. So all <laughs> we this were was, nobody. I mean, at that point, the on. writing, unfortunately, is on the walls. Your heart may not want it, but your brains probably know it. Well, yeah, Troy did. I did. <laughs> yeah. Troy I did. did. I didn't. I was just trying to prepare her for what I knew was going to happen. And so tell us what happened. So uh, the judge, the judge uh, would not grant our adoption, you know, and uh, and so Carly was then thrown into a custody battle between the birth father's family and the birth mother's family, basically. Oh, good grief! Yes, and we at that point, I did have contact and had started to have conversations with the paternal side of the family. So it was two aunts and a grandma that were very, very interested in, I think, having Carly in their lives um, permanently. And so I did have some conversations with them. And ultimately, there was, we we had to, the judge did not like, like strongly disliked the birth mother because of this whole mess was because of her manipulation, her lying. And so we ended up a month, about a month later, no, not even that, 10, yeah. 10 15 days, 10 days later, 20. Um, handing, packing up Carly and then um, giving her, we had to hand her over to the paternal aunt. So one of the sisters. That had of, to have been just 
that had to have been all that had to have been the most tearful i i can't i mean when you bond with and raise a child you were giving your child away i mean that had to have been just heart wrenching yeah it was hard it was uh <laughs> it's still hard you know so uh just kind of remembering all that again and it was hard you know it was hard for us but you know it's it was very very hard on sydney our, our middle daughter uh in particular but i mean she we kind of had gotten her to the point she was at the age where she was sleeping in her own bed and everything and she was always that girl that would run down in the middle of the night and get in, jump in the bed between us and sleep and keep us up the rest of the night, kicking us in the ribs. But <laughs> I remember those nights. <laughs> we had her sleeping in her own bed for for really a year almost. And right after we gave Carly back, she was right back in our bed again for almost another year. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's traumatic. I, I get it. So you go, you 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 feel called to do this. You 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 put yourself out there, and you don't only just care for the child you you actually care for the child's birth mother and son and and this thing happens and it's gut-wrenching and it interrupts your family and your 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 two daughters before and so you say well you know what we did that let's move on and so uh you moved on and that was it right no more well we we actually got we we got a little bit involved in in uh you know, at the point that we, you know, we were no longer going to have Carly. We had no legal right to her. You know, we, what we wanted to do is there was going to be a custody battle between the birth mother's parents and the birth father's parents. And so at that point we just decided, okay, what's the best option for Carly in this situation? And, uh, um, we got to make sure we, we really felt that the birth father, even though the birth father was incarcerated, you know, his sister, half-sister, was in a pretty good, you know, she had a good job. She was a nurse, uh, is a nurse. And, uh, you know, she she had seemed to be the most stable situation. And the birth mother's family was a little more of the same. You know, there was a lot of kids, a lot of, you know, a lot of really tough situation there. And so we just decided. Just a lot of dysfunction. Yeah, a lot of dysfunction. That's the best way to say it. And we just thought then this place, the birth, the birth father's family is the best place for her. So we helped pay some of the legal bills to make sure that that's where she was. And because they didn't have, they didn't have good legal counsel to fight a battle. That is so selfless, but I get it because you're doing the best you can for your daughter. Yeah. Even though she's not going to live with you, she's your yeah. daughter. So you're doing the best you can to take care of her. Yes. Yeah. And that was, you know, a few weeks after we handed her over, I really struggled because I thought there's there is a socioeconomic difference and I and there were a lot of differences, but I really thought how are we going to keep relationship with her? Like how is this going to hurt her or help her for us to stay as a part of her life. And believe me, I think it would have been a lot easier to, for us to have just wiped our hands of it and walked away. But I think you were alluding to your kind of <laughs> spoiling the, the punchline a little bit. I called a good friend of mine from high school that was, that is a child psychologist and just said, what do we do? I mean, 
you know, do we just walk away? The, the family wanted us to stay. The paternal family wanted us what's to stay. What's the best tra- thing for, yeah, her, what's for a, us to do? Yes, if we stay in her life, are we going to make it more difficult? Or do we need to stay in her life? I mean, we don't want to hurt her any more than... I mean, she, yes. at this point in her life, she's one years old. She's never going to know yeah, anything know about difference. us. She'll never know. Right. And that's when she said to me, no matter how dysfunctional situation, if there's one constant in a child's life, it will make all the difference in the world. And so that is what we decided to do. Because like you were saying earlier, too, I'm sure you had coaches and, you know, friends, dads and people that sewed into your life in the areas where your dad wasn't there for you. And I think both Troy and I can name teachers and, you know, my youth group leader, you know, people that filled in those gaps for us. And so that was what we decided. That's the day we decided that we would be her constant. And so, you know, that, that has been hard. It's not been easy. Um, We see her every year. Yeah, we see her. We still have a relationship with her. And and we're still mommy Erica and daddy Troy. And, you know, it's been a decade, which is, or longer than that. No, yeah, you know, she's 13. So, I mean, it's been longer than that. It's been a long time. But it's, it has been, you know, the one thing that we did feel. And there were, there were a couple of two, three years where the system was a mess around her. I mean, with the both sides of the family fighting for her. And as we all know, the system does not protect the children. It it protects the stupid adults in the situation. Like it seems like they're the ones that have all the power and the children have none. And so we, it was hard. We had to sit by and watch, you know, her be juggled back and forth, have her, you know, her future in jeopardy. And at one point she was supposed to be moved from, so she was with us a year. She was with the aunt for two years. And then they had a DHS worker that was going to recommend a move to move her now from the only place she's known for two years to be reunited with her sibling group, which the sibling group had grown since then, since her birth. And not one of them were from the same father or the same, you know, She'd never lived under the same roof with them, and they were going to get ready to move her. And that's when I say, (laughs) Mama Erica rang heaven and hell. Like We used what power we had to help her stay where she was with the aunt and make that help that be permanent because we could not fathom for a moment of having her be moved again torn from a home (laughs) that she knew for two years. That would have destroyed her mouth. There's no no doubt. Guys, I mean, this story is 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 sad but it's also redemptive because you have remained a constant for her and have continued to fight for her even as she was taken from you and and I think that's beautiful and you know that's where normal folks do extraordinary things like yourselves and and I you know it's it's amazing but having gone through that I can just imagine had I gone through it, you know, uh, you know, tried it. Uh, I think I'm going to drop back and punt and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll do something different. And, um, was, I, I, that's what y'all did, right? Yeah. The, the, my friend and neighbor that worked at, or volunteered at CPO called me. Oh gosh, this would have been January. So we, we had to hand Carly over in, we did it in June around her first birthday. And then this was about nine months later, my friend calls me and she says, um, I don't know if you're ready. And I'm not sure I was, but she said, we have 
a birth father that's called the you know called CPO and is looking to place his three and a half year old daughter. Okay, and now now you've become crazy, a glutton, and nuts. <laughs> yeah. You you are crazy people at this point. <laughs> After all the pain and effort and money and time you've just gone through and still having no way completely recovered from all of that emotionally, you're actually gonna try this again? Well, how can we say no? That was oh it. We gosh. kept praying, and it I was can, like Troy. I can tell you about fifteen different ways. <laughs> <laughs> we just looked at each other, and we thought, "This little girl needs needs somebody to care for her." And that concludes part one of my conversation with Erica and Troy Andrews. And part two is now available. And I promise you guys, you do not want to miss this incredible adoption story. But if for some strange reason you do, make sure to join the Army of Normal Folks at normalfolks.us and sign up to become a member of the movement. By signing up, you'll also receive a weekly email with short episode summaries in case you happen to miss an episode, or you might prefer just reading about our incredible guests. Together, guys, we can change this country. And it starts with you. I'll see you in part two. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.